These words from Psalm 69 that we have just sung about the Lord being giving vinegar to drink are fulfilled on the cross, and we will read about that in John chapter 19. So our scripture reading is John 19, beginning with verse 16. After Pilate had delivered our Lord over to be crucified, then we'll begin with the second part of verse 16, reading through to verse 30. Let us hear the word of our God. So they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the King of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold, your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold, your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The last three verses are the focal point, the text for the preaching this afternoon. Brothers and 
sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate, the governor, did not want to crucify our Lord. More than once he had said, this man is innocent. There is no reason to crucify him. And he knew of what he spoke. For whatever else we might say about Pilate, he was a man of the law. He knew the law. He knew what it was to be presented with solid evidence or no evidence at all. He knew the man before him was innocent. And that's why we read in verse 12 of this chapter, from then on Pilate sought, he was looking for some way to release him. And even Pilate's wife confirmed this when she sent a special message to him saying to her husband, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Whatever you do, my husband, but do not send him to the cross. And yet, Pilate did send him to the cross. And why did he do so? In the first place, because of the pressure from the Jewish crowd, especially the Jewish leaders. In a certain way, you could say it was a kind of peer pressure. The cries, crucify him and crucify him, just became more and more numerous, louder and louder, and at a certain point, Pilate could not stand up against it anymore. But more than that, the Jewish leaders had said in verse 12, everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And therefore, they also added, if you release this man, you, Pilate, are not Caesar's friend. And that is probably what pushed Pilate to do it. He was afraid of what Caesar might do. And yet, when our Lord had been crucified, and once again the same Jewish leaders came with another petition, this time Pilate stood his ground. And the Jews had read that inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They were distressed. They didn't like that at all. And so they came yet again to Pilate and they said to Pilate, change the sign. Pilate stood his ground. He said, no. What I have written, I have written. Now leave. But brothers and sisters, lest we think that it's just Pilate who once again had his governor's backbone to stand up to the crowds. Governor Pilate was governed. Who made sure that that sign stayed the same above our crucified Lord's head? It was not ultimately Pilate governor of the Jews. It was our God, governor of the entire universe. Over the voice of Pilate, we must recognize the sovereign authority of our God. What had been written 
had been written. Why? Because our God wants us to understand, brothers and sisters, that everything that Jesus Christ said, every little detail of what he did on the cross, he did as the king. As the king of the Jews. Not someone who just said he was the king of the Jews, but really wasn't the king of the Jews. No, he said and did what he did as truly the king, the king of God's covenant people, indeed the king of the universe. And that includes giving up his spirit and dying. As the Lord had said earlier in this gospel, this gospel of John, John chapter 10, verse 18, it wasn't Pilate. It wasn't the Jewish leaders. It wasn't those Roman soldiers, brothers and sisters, who snatched his life away from him. Far from it. Jesus himself said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. As a king with authority, I lay down my life of my own accord. And... I have the authority not only to lay it down, but I have the authority to take it up again as well. It was our King, Jesus, who laid down his life, Good Friday, who also will take it up Easter Sunday in our commemoration. And so I may preach God's word as follows this afternoon. Our King gives up his spirit for our salvation. We will see the final preparations that he makes the final proclamation that he makes, and then his final posture before he breathed his last and gave up his spirit for us. Congregation, as you well know, life is full of preparations. It seems that every day is preparing for the next event, whether small or great. It's only a few hours after we finish one meal we're already busy, starting to prepare for the next one. No sooner do we prepare and get out the door and do our daily work when we have to tidy up and finish up and prepare to bring that day's work to an end. All of life seems to be preparing for what comes next. But there is also a final preparation. The Lord once said, to King Hezekiah, Hezekiah, put your house in order because you will die. There is also that final preparation that needs to be made before the final event of our earthly lives, namely our death. And typically speaking, we, we as human beings, we want to make sure that the will is in order. That if the Lord gives the opportunity and the ability, we have some time yet to spend with, to speak to our loved ones, our spouse, our children, our grandchildren. And those last words, those last actions that we take, should the Lord give that opportunity, those last actions are always so full of meaning, so full of significance. What did our Lord do just before he gave up his spirit? 
Well, he said, brothers and sisters, two things. I thirst and it is finished. And he did three other actions. He received that drink. Jesus received the sour wine and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Two proclamations. Three actions. And in order, brothers and sisters, to understand what the Holy Spirit is bringing us here in his word, we need to remember that each word that he spoke, he spoke with that sign above his head. It was our king, king of the Jews, king of the world, who said, I thirst. Not just a helpless victim, not just another crucified man, our king said, I thirst. Our king said, it is finished. Our king drank the sour wine, bowed his head, and gave up his spirit. But why? Why did he say in the first place, I thirst? Earlier, just before he was crucified, just before he was nailed to the cross, the soldiers had offered him something to drink. Wine, but a different kind of wine. We read about this in the Gospel of Mark. We read that they offered the Lord wine mixed with myrrh. That was meant to dull the pain just before the nails were put into his hands and feet. You see, as cruel, as barbaric as the Roman soldiers were, and they were, they at least did that for the crucified one. They offered some wine mixed with myrrh to deaden the pain of the piercing of the nails. Our Lord at that point said no. He did not take it. But now, after this, verse 28, after he had been nailed to the cross, after he had suffered, after he had spoke all the sayings that he needed to speak, just before he died, now he says, I thirst, meaning now I call for something to drink. Why now? He had been on the cross for more than three hours at this point. He had been suffering, suffering in his body, suffering the agony, suffering in his soul, suffering all of the taunts. And so you can understand, brothers and sisters, that at this point his tongue is parched. But it's not just the agony of a crucified man who's about to die. But as the Holy Spirit says, he spoke these words, I thirst to fulfill the scriptures. The scriptures which speak about, in the first place, a post-suffering thirst. There are actually three kinds of thirst here that are all woven together. When our Lord says, I thirst, he means three different kinds or three interwoven kinds of thirst. The first is the thirst that comes after suffering. The second is the thirst and the yearning 
for fellowship, for communion with God. And the last is the thirst. In order to, having quenched the thirst, be able to speak clearly. First, the post-suffering thirst. This is the thirst described in Psalm 22. Psalm 22, brothers and sisters, is that psalm that the Lord quoted on the cross when he said, My God, my God, Iloui, Iloui, why have you forsaken me? Lama sabachthani. And in that psalm, that psalm which describes the agony, the suffering, the taunts, and the mocking that came upon our Lord. In verse 15, we read, My strength. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, like a bit of broken pottery. My tongue sticks to my jaws just before you lay me in the dust of death. This thirst that comes post-suffering and indeed in the midst still of suffering is also spoken of and fulfilled from Psalm 69. You see how the Lord is taking the psalms upon his lips here to fulfill each and every one of them. Save me, O God, Psalm 69 begins. We sang it together. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into the deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with my crying. My throat is parched. In other words, I thirst. And when you first hear this, you say, why does David say, my throat is parched? There's water everywhere. He's in the deep waters. The flood is over him. But it's not just a physical thirst. That was there too. But this is also the thirst of the soul, brothers and sisters. All of the suffering it's now come over the great son of David in a measure and a manner that you and I could never comprehend in all of its fullness. For what had happened just before our Savior said, I thirst? The sun went dark for three long hours. For three hours that to our Savior were like an eternity. Because during those three dark hours, the full, unmitigated, holy wrath of God came upon the soul and the body of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. His whole life, brothers and sisters, was suffering. But for three hours, he went through a suffering that was hellish. And I don't use that word lightly. That's how it's described. That's how we also confess it in the catechism. Those three dark hours especially that was hellish horror, hellish agony, hellish suffering. In the parable 
that our Savior told about the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man who suffered in hell said, send Lazarus with a little bit of water for the tip of my tongue. That's the thirst, brothers and sisters. Not just a thirst from being ours on a cross, but the thirst of having gone through the fiery anguish of hell itself. Oh, he didn't at that point go to the place called hell, but he went through every agony that hell contains. And then he says, after that, I thirst. But he says it, brothers and sisters, not as a helpless victim. He says it as a king. A king who says it for all the citizens of his kingdom. A king who says it for you and for me. I thirst now because I have suffered the fires of hell itself so that you, my beloved, would never have to suffer those hellish agonies. When you hear your king, brothers and sisters, say, I thirst, it's so that you would never have to say the words that the rich man said in our Lord's parable. It's a saving, it's an atoning thirst. He thirsted so that you never will have to suffer the thirst of hell. But that's only the first part of this thirsting. For there's more. You know the other psalms that speak about the thirsting of the soul. Psalm 42, we love to sing it, brothers and sisters. It's the most well-known one. But the psalmist there, he's away from the Lord. He's away from the temple of the Lord. He's away from the worship of the Lord. He's physically removed. But oh, how he longs. He longs, he yearns, yes, he thirsts to be with his God. That communion, that fellowship, that presence of God. Our Lord had been completely forsaken by his God. And now he thirsts. Having gone through that, he yearns like the psalmist of 42. He longs now to be in his Father's presence. Oh, it will be some time yet, some time before his resurrection, some time before his ascension. But at this moment, he is already looking. He's already thirsting. And he thirsts as our king. Because how many times, brothers and sisters, when we've gone through the hard times in life, the times when we've wondered, oh Lord, what are you doing in my life? Where are you? Why don't you help me? Why don't you comfort me? And when we then should sing the words of Psalm 42, and we should thirst and we should yearn and languish for the Lord, 
what do we do? Sometimes we don't thirst for Him. Sometimes we don't languish and yearn for Him. Sometimes right in those moments, we ignore Him. We don't speak to Him. Maybe even we turn our back and for a time we walk away. Our Savior thirsted and He yearned for His Father's fellowship with perfect, humble submission to redeem us, to forgive us, so that, brothers and sisters, when you consider your own life and you think to yourself, I should thirst, I should yearn, I should languish for the Lord so much more than I do. In fact, sometimes, right when I should have, I didn't. Hear your king. He says, I thirst. I have thirsted in the deepest anguish for God, my God. And I did it to cover over all of the times when you should have thirsted and you didn't. This is an atoning thirst. And then finally, the last part of this thirst. And that is so that he can proclaim. After all of that agony, both of body and soul, it is at this moment, after this, that our Savior receives that sour red wine. Earlier the wine mixed with myrrh, that was not necessary. But now it was. Why? Because the tongue of our Lord, his physical tongue, so parched, so swollen, that he could not speak as clearly as he needed to speak at this moment to give a royal proclamation. And so saying, I thirst, he took the action and received what before he had rejected. This time he received the sour wine. Sour wine, the vinegar wine, that does not deaden pain. It does two things. It stimulates the senses. It makes a person bright again. It also slacks the thirst. So it is said, even better than non-sour wine. But how does that wine come to his mouth? On a branch. What kind of branch? A hyssop branch. And our king receives the red wine upon the hyssop branch in order to fulfill the scriptures. Passover. It was Passover. They put the blood on the lintel, on the doorframe, with the branch of hyssop. And now the Passover lamb king, who is nailed to the cross, in fulfillment of the Passover, he receives the wine that symbolizes the blood which will come out of his side only momentarily later. And so by that action, our king says, 
Behold, I am here, my people, your Passover lamb. And I take upon my lips and I wet my tongue so that I can say clearly and loudly enough so that not only every Jewish citizen, every Roman soldier gathered closer or further away from the cross could hear it, but loud and clear enough, brothers and sisters, that it would ring down through the generations, would ring down through the centuries, would ring down through the generations until it also enters my ear and your ear. What does the Lamb King say? It is finished. When our God created all things, at the end of the creation week, he said, it is finished, Genesis 2. The waters above and the waters below, nothing was missing. Not even a molecule of water that he wanted to be there, was all there. It was finished. Every single star that he wanted in the heavens, that star was there. There was not one star missing. It was finished. And now, the Passover lamb who is king, who is the word of God, through whom all things were created, he once again says, it is finished. The work of salvation and atonement for you, it is so complete. This Passover lamb sacrifice that there's not even a molecule of redemption missing. Brothers and sisters, do you hear him? He took the wine upon his lips so that you would hear him. How does he say it is finished? Because he gave everything that was needed for it to be finished. And you say, Yeah, but my sinful nature, that, 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 that nature of mine that keeps on coming back to the temptations and keeps on giving in. How can God ever forgive me? Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. The royal proclamation is sinner. You're forgiven. It's finished. Our soul says yes. But during my youth, I committed sins. I care not to repeat. Do you hear your king? He says, it is finished.
forgiven. And you say, just last week I lost it again. I got angry. I said something I shouldn't say. I did something I shouldn't have done. I looked at what I should not have looked. Do you hear your king? It's finished, he said. It's forgiven. And you say, but the number of my sins, they are uncountable. He says, my suffering was sufficient. I went through hellish agony for you. It is finished. It's forgiven. The Passover lamb has given his life. And you say, yes, but it doesn't feel finished. I don't experience it as being finished because the misery and the stumbling and the groaning of sins and the consequences of sin is still such a part of this life. Now it is forgiven. But once more, once more this same king and he will have no need then of wetting his lips with sour wine. But once more he will speak and he will say, Revelation 21 verse 6, it is done. It's finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega. What is now done, he says? The forgiveness was done on the cross. But now, what is finished? All the pain. With the same royal authority, he says, all the pain. Now, as he returns on the clouds of heaven, then he will say, now that is finished too. And all the mourning, all the crying, all the groaning, your king will say, it's finished, it's done. And on that great day, this king, whose hands are no longer nailed to the cross, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and say, it's finished. Now, there's no more tears. What our Savior spoke was no helpless victim. It was a dying king atoning for his people, giving them hope, giving them something to live out of and look forward to. And then, two last things. The final posture. He bowed his head. Not because he was so exhausted through it all that he could do nothing but bow his head. Oh, it had been excruciating 
But this king consciously, voluntarily, deliberately, and lovingly bowed his head. A king, brothers and sisters, has no need to bow his head. The servant bows his head before the king. That's who has to bow the head, the servant. The king can keep his head upright. But here the king came not to be served, but to serve. And so the servant king, Isaiah's servant of the Lord, the servant king bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This, my people, is how I serve you. I serve you with my last breath. I serve you with my death. I serve you by doing what no other human being can do and give up the other gospel. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was not taken from him. He said it himself. John 10, that's where we began. I have authority, I have royal authority, and of royal authority I decide lovingly to lay down my life and give up my spirit because I'm the shepherd who loves my sheep. And as he has the authority to lay it down for us and our salvation, so, brothers and sisters, he has the authority to take it up. The forgiveness, the sacrifice, it's finished. But the work of Christ for us, that still has more. And that more we get to hear about on Easter Sunday. As he laid down his life, so he will take it up again. Pilate said, no, I will not give in to this Jewish pressure anymore. What I have written, I have written. You can almost see the sternness, the conviction on his face. Now I stand my ground, says Pilate. But so high above Pilate, from heaven's throne, God made sure that that sign stayed there unaltered. Brothers and sisters, hear it. Hear what your king said. Brothers and sisters, see with the eye of faith. See what he did. Behold, your king, your lamb, your shepherd, your savior. Amen.